And now to give the most famous words in racing, Magic Johnson! All right, are you ready? podcast ready to go Tyler Head and Dalton Mullinex with you as always recording on Wednesday and despite being three days removed I'm still so hyped and pleased with everything I saw at Auto Club Speedway on Sunday over the course of 400 miles there was not a dull moment in this race and I know the next gen car technically debuted at the clash and ran the Daytona 500 but this was really the debut for the next gen car that we've been waiting on and it checked all the boxes. Yeah, this was kind of the rollout. Mm. You know, I mean, that ran into the clash, so be it. Ran at the Daytona 500, eh, whatever. But, like, you know, you get to this two-mile super speedway, you want to know what you have in the car. It, and it was a just – we talked about it last week. It was a huge question mark. We hadn't been to Auto Club in two years. We had no idea what this car was going to be able to do on this super speedway, but man, did it deliver. Absolutely. And Auto Club, also being abrasive as it is, that added an extra element to it because we knew the tire wear was going to come into play. And that ended up causing a few more problems than maybe we were hoping for, but we'll get to that in a moment. But when NASCAR announced, you know, in the off season through the testing and stuff, that they were going to go down, they were, they were going to go to the higher horsepower, lower down force package again. This race, I started looking forward to this race more than the Daytona 500 because finally, after three years of you know slower cars, pack racing a mile and a half, you know, um, cars being easier to drive, we were finally going to put it back in the hands of the drivers, and I. I wasn't expecting to see it to the degree that we saw it, but I was pleased with everything that I saw. Every spin out in practice, every wreck we saw on Sunday, you know, and and none of those were like, you know, malicious or anything like that. It was all guys just going as hard as they could, losing the handle on these cars because they're hard to drive again. Yeah, and like you said, it, it started in practice on Friday. The um, first lap. Like a yeah. less than a minute in, Harvick backed it into the wall. Yeah, and you're like, holy crap. You know, you're like, okay, well, it's probably, you know, probably just had an issue. Next thing you know, it's, it's Ross Chastain, which he did actually have an issue. Yeah. Um, Chris Buescher turns it around, and qualifying, Chase turns it around. It's just, that's what you want. You want these talented drivers to have to work the wheel and just saw on it to keep it going straight. And here's the thing. Is it going to be like that every single week? No. This was just the first weekend, and guys, you know, and here's the thing. They haven't tested a lot with this package configuration. And even at the Charlotte test, we saw guys spinning out. So they're still getting used to it. As the weeks go by, you know, they're going to get more adapted, and you're not going to see 10 cars spinning out and qualifying every single week. That's certainly going to go down. But, again, I was happy to see it happen at California. It says, okay, we've gone in the right direction. We finally – given the majority of fans what they've been screaming for for the past three years well not even just majority of the fans i mean pretty much all the drivers too they they yeah. talked about was i don't remember who it was got out of the car and just talked about how fun it was to drive yeah uh, well, 
and um, Brad Kozlowski, before he went out there and spun in qualifying, was being interviewed as he was walking to his car, and he's like, these cars are hard to drive. That, that's the way it should be. This is the Cup Series. This is the top level of stock car racing in the world. We should be out there manhandling these things around a track like that. Exactly. And like you said, it was just, you know, when they started started spinning and stuff on Friday, you were like, uh-oh, this isn't good. Or yeah. it may be Saturday, I forget. But uh, it, I don't know. It's just it, it's cool to see. I mean, yeah, I don't want to watch a race where everybody spins out. But I also don't want to see a race where – and we, we talked about this a little bit over the past couple of years since we've been doing this podcast. But, like, I don't want to feel like I can go out there and drive that car. Yes. I sure as heck couldn't have drove the one that they put on the track this past Sunday. Right. And that's what I think the appeal for NASCAR has been for a long time is if the casual person watches it on TV, they go, wow, I couldn't do that. Like, wow, that's crazy. Look, look at them fighting that wheel and look how fast are they going. And when you show them something from, you know, 2019, 2020 or 2021, it's like, oh, he's just holding it to the floor. Like, I, could, I can do that. Oh, he's just turning the wheel that I could do that too. And of course the average person can't do that, but it's the aesthetic and what, how it looks on TV. Um, so yeah, seeing these guys all over the place and champions spinning out and wrecking as easily as they did, that's a good endorsement that, Hey, this isn't for everybody. You got to be a special type of person to be able to go out there and race in the cup series. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and on that same note, how good did it feel watching a race again at a mile and a half, knowing that at any second something had happened? Because yeah. we become so complacent to really only expect the stage breaks. Like, okay, we're at Kansas and we made it through the restart. All right, stage breaks in 70 laps. We're probably not going to see a caution before then. You know, you just kind of like, all right, we'll just settle in and wait for the next round of pit stops, I guess. But at California, I was like, okay. You know, I'm at any second that camera's going to cut and somebody's going to be sideways, you know, spinning off a four and getting into the wall. Like I was on the edge of my seat the entire time, which again, just created three hours of nonstop action. Yeah. And I really am not trying to be dramatic when I say this, but like, I didn't want to leave from being in front of the TV. I didn't want to miss a lap. Something. I mean, really, and it's, I got to thinking, I was talking to my dad about it, but I was like, I don't remember the last time I felt this way about a race where it was just like from, from start to finish, there was just, I don't know, excitement. And I, and I know there's added excitement because of the new car. I, I mean, obviously, um, but it just, it was a great race. Yeah. And the new car in California is a multi-group racetrack. So we'll see how it performs when we go to some of these tracks that, um, you know, don't have three and four lanes to offer. Um, but I thought the ability that the guys were having to pass each other was great. And that was the biggest deficiency of the Gen 6 was, okay, I can catch a guy, but I'm going to get caught in his dirty air, and I can wait for him to make a mistake and, and all this stuff if I want to get around him. That wasn't the case. These guys were pulling up on each other, passing each other easily. Um, also, notice the side draft wasn't as effective as it used to be. So mm -hmm. um, pulling up on somebody's right rear quarter panel and you know trying to dump all that air on their spoiler – it slowed them down a little bit, but it didn't sink them like a rock like we've seen in the past couple of years. And that's going to be another kind of element that these drivers are going to have to adapt to and learn how to use. Yeah. Yeah, it's just another element of, of this car that they're going to have to adjust to. 
yeah. And again, the, the teams are going to figure these things out and it's going to continue to change as the season goes along. But for these first couple races at these bigger tracks, and I love that we get such an interesting mix to start the season. We go to California then we go to Las Vegas. We're going to go to Atlanta and it's something different every single time to where they're not really going to be able to get their hands around it until we're a good way into the season. Right. So, but a phenomenal race. Uh, I'll save the I'll save the problems for a little bit later on. Let, let's hit some of the other highlights first. Uh, Kyle Larson won um, two mile Kyle returns, which I got that pick right, so I officially take the lead for the first time this season. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't without controversy. And before we get into that, actually, this was such an atypical Kyle Larson win because what have we gotten used to in the past year? He's going to go out there, he's going to lead a bunch of laps, he's going to look like the dominant car from the get go, and boom, he wins the race. No surprise. On Sunday, for one, he started in the back. And, you know, he made his way up into the top 10, I'd say relatively quickly. It was before the end of stage one. But he was never like, oh, man, you know, he's got the best car out there. He showed good speed, but he didn't have, like, that race-leading, race-winning speed. But he put himself in position when things started to go wrong for some of the other leaders to be there at the end to capitalize and win the race. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing is, is like you said, it's very atypical of him because most of the time, especially in the past year, he's, he's dominated the race and just, you know, there's been no question who's going to win. And then obviously earlier in his career, he had issues of leading the race and then falling apart at the end. But, yeah, yep. he capitalized other's misfortunes. And, you know, look, he, he had speed again, and that's kind of what we didn't know um, if the Hendrick cars would, would have speed. They clearly all did. Yep. Um, and I don't know what that means going forward, but when we get to our picks, it's going to mean something for me. Just a little well, preview. I can tell you one person that didn't buy him a congratulatory dinner on Sunday night. That'd be his teammate Chase Elliott because uh, they had a little dust up there later at the end of the race. And I was thoroughly surprised that Chase was able to even be in this position to begin with. He had a very rough day. And he was a couple laps down, got himself back on the lead lap. At the very end, I think it was around 1920 to go, uh, he and Chase Briscoe stayed out on old tires, which at Auto Club, that's a death sentence. You know you're going to get passed real quick. But, you know, they've had a rough day. I understand trying the different strategy. So, you know, he loses the lead pretty quickly. Larson and Logano are fighting for the lead, going down the front straightaway the following lap. And Chase somehow gets this burst of speed. And maybe it was those two cars running side by side that slowed him down but I was sitting there shocked that he was actually able to pull a move to the outside. And what I saw Kyle Larson did not because when he went up to go arc into turn one, chase was there. Nine car hits the wall. His day's done. Yeah. You know, and, and it depends on who, I mean, it depends on who you ask, you know, obviously chase wasn't happy. Um, Larson spotter said that was a hundred percent on him. Okay. A uh, buddy of mine pointed out, though, he was like, do drivers not have those rear cameras anymore? I mean, they do, but I feel like that wasn't a scenario where you're going to be looking at that. Because, and, you know, again, they blew by Chase on his old tires. So, to if I'm Kyle Larson, I don't have any reason to assume that he's still right there with us. I'm side by side with the 22 car. My focus is on him. I'm listening to what my spotter's saying about him. And what he was trying to do was arc his entry into turn number one 
to get a better run to clear the 22 car. He goes up. Elliot just happens to be there. Um, and the and obviously we're Chase Elliott fans, but the toxicity of some people as a result of this has blown my mind because I'm like, you've got to hit, you got to sit there and kind of think about it logically for a second. What benefit would Kyle Larson have in putting his own teammate in the wall? What, why would he want to do that? He wouldn't. It's just, you know, it's just one of them racing deals. And, you know, I guess my thing, um, it's just, and I don't, I alluded this a little bit last year when, when Larson got really hot. I mean, he's hot mm-hmm. for most, but um, I wonder if it bothers Chase that, that he's not winning like Larson is. He's not the defending champ anymore. And it, I, I don't know, he doesn't seem like the guy that would let that get to him. But if, if the guy whooping your butt every week is from your own team, I feel like that's got to dig at you every once in a while. Well, and this kind of relates back to the toxicity of some Chase Elliott fans. I feel like a lot of them have created this narrative that these two don't like each other. Yeah. Because everybody's saying, oh, it's the new Jimmy and Jeff, which Jimmy and Jeff are great friends, by the way. They had their run-ins when they were teammates, sure, but they never hated each other. And I I just – I don't understand why these people are trying to create this narrative that, oh, Chase Elliott doesn't like Kyle Larson and Kyle Larson doesn't like Chase Elliott. I am 99% sure that's not true, but this yeah. is something else that's going to add fuel to the fire. They're both winners. They're both champions. They're both competitors. If anything, iron sharpens iron. These guys got to yep. love being teammates because they're going to keep each other at the top of their game. Yep. Yeah. It, it's much like the battle a few years, I think it was 2019 with Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr. And Kyle Busch. Mm-hmm. Every week, those guys were whipping everybody. And their goal was to be, you know, come out first ahead of that. It made the entire organization better. Yeah. No, I don't think Chase Elliott's some green-eyed monster envious because Kyle Larson won more races than him last year. Guess who else was competing for the championship towards the end of the season? Chase Elliott. So it didn't deter him from trying to defend his title. Um, So, no, I just think – I think Twitter takes these kind of things over and creates this kind of narrative. They had, I guess they had their meeting yesterday. Um, things are smoothed over. I don't think we're going to see any problems. I think this is squashed and buried. I can yeah. understand why Chase Elliott would have been frustrated in the moment because what the heck's my teammate doing there? But if you go back and look, if you listen to what Tyler Mon said, where he took responsibility for it, I, I don't think this goes past this week. Yeah. You'd hope not. No. And, and again, I, I think – these two have a lot of respect for each other and, you know, they view each other. They know that they are the top two guys at this team. Alex mm-hmm. Bowman and William Byron are great, but Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson are on a different level right now. So yep. they, they, they understand that they're, what their role is. And again, I don't think it's going to be any problem going forward. Yeah. Um, before this happened, before Kyle Larson took the victory, it looked like we were going to be getting ready to talk about Tyler Reddick visiting victory lane for the first time in the cup series. Cause he flat dominated this race leading 90 of 200 laps before old lady luck bit him once again. And he ended up uh, cutting a tire, getting into the wall and William Byron just came along and cleaned him out. And that was that for the eight car. Yeah, he was, 
he, you just had that feeling that it was going to be his day. Yeah. Um, like, you know, dominated the race and then unfortunately didn't. And, yeah. and it, you know, but, you know, I, I think that you saw big strides from RCR um, as you did last year. I mean, we saw them get up a little bit last year, but, um, you know, obviously Austin Dillon had a good run, had, hey, he was in the hair at the end with Austin Dillon finished second. Like, yeah, I mean, he how did that much happen? Other guys, I think would would finish in the top five, but right, yeah, really good day for both RCR cars. And I, I really almost picked Tyler Reddick last week. One because you know these cars are hard to drive, which that plays into his skill set. California being a very abrasive track, that plays into his skill set. One thing I've been thinking about too: RCR has had the most time with the next gen car. They literally built the first one. Austin Dillon was the first guy to drive one of these things all the way back in September of 2019. So if any team was going to have some kind of advantage to start out with, it was probably going to be RCR. Now, I'm not saying that's the reason that Tyler Reddick led all those laps and had the race-winning car, but it's certainly a contributing factor, I think. Um, yeah. And I don't think it's going to be very long. He could go out there and win this weekend, for all we know. Um, he's going to win races. I'm willing to say he's going to be a strong championship contender this season. Yeah. This is his year to break out. Yeah, very well could be. Yeah. So, unfortunately, um, it bit him. And, and when you kind of look back on how this year has started out for him, he dominated the Coliseum, had the mechanical failure, um, very well could have gone on to win that race. And then you have this issue here. And it's just like, if he can get a little bit of luck on his side, he's going to be dangerous. Very very dangerous um surprise of the day uh, how about that 43 car and eric jones uh not only qualifying on the front row and what you know single lap speed is one thing like okay that's that's great that's impressive and you know you can maybe chalk it up to okay well x amount of guys spun out so maybe he would have ended up starting fourth or fifth or something like that but he took off at the beginning of this race and he was really the only guy that was able to go toe-to-toe with Tyler Reddick. Now, Reddick ended up having the better car in the long runs, but how many restarts did Eric Jones in that 43 car shoot to the bottom and take the lead for five, six laps? That's what you were thinking is if we get a late caution here and he's up towards the front, there's a chance he could run off as this thing and the 43's back at victory lane. Um, Obviously, it didn't happen, but, yeah, when they qualified, I was – running i had some errands to run i guess it was saturday yeah during qualifying um so i didn't see i didn't see a bunch of it um but when i saw that he qualified outside the pole i thought well that's got to be a mistake like that, there ain't no way and then sure enough he did and, and kind of like you it was like oh that's probably just man probably just single car yeah but oh i mean they they had a phenomenal car and i think people forget because of how everything shook out at JGR and the fact that, you know, he spent last year with, with Petty and Petty was, you know, we know that Petty's not a top flight team. So, um, you know, he didn't have the results necessarily uh, back up what a lot of people think of, uh, think of him. Eric Jones is a darn good driver. He tore it up in the truck series and the Xfinity series. He almost got a top five in his first ever cup series start filling in for Kyle Busch in 2015. Like, this guy is good. This guy is talented. Whatever reason, and you can probably you know make a comparison to what happened with Joey Logano. Things didn't work out. He didn't have a lot of success to start out with at Joe Gibbs Racing. 
But I think kind of similar to Logano, maybe we're seeing that rebirth, that second opportunity for Eric Jones. And again, when now that we have a car that's a little bit more equal to where a team like Petty GMS, despite not being Hendrick Motorsports, can go out there and go toe-to-toe with these guys and really show driver skill, I think that plays perfectly into Eric Jones's wheelhouse. I agree 100%. I mean, I, I think he's a talented driver. And, you know, and like you said, it's not like Petty GMS is a top flight team. You know, they're, they're in the Cup Series. Um, but, you know, I think eventually he's going to get back with a top-tier team and, and it's really going to make some noise. I'm looking for him to be especially dangerous at short tracks this year because he's a, obviously he came from the short tracks. He's a short track ace. And we saw him put together some good runs at short tracks last year in the 43 car. But, man, we go to Bristol, we go to Richmond, we go to Martinsville. Look out for that 43 car because he's going to yeah. be up there in the mix. Yeah. Um, what killed him Sunday, he had a couple of bad pit stops. And then lane selection. I was really – confused by him picking the top lane on those late restarts because I was like man you're the one that's been able to drive to the bottom every single time and be clear off a of turn number two why aren't you doing that late in the race yeah yeah it didn't make much sense um but it's just, I guess part of it you just you take what you know that's the thing that's so interesting about this this choose rule is that you know you literally have the choice you know you don't have Go inside, outside. You can choose wherever you want to go. And like you said, when he even they alluded to it on television, um, how it's just kind of like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Somebody else that was a pleasant surprise, and he's the one that Kyle Larson ended up passing for the freaking race win, Daniel Suarez. And the track house racing as a whole was having a really good day. Ross Chastain ended up um uh, you know, obviously he had the, the problem on Saturday and, um, you know, kind of an up and down day. But right there at the end, Daniel Suarez got to jump on that last restart with, with four to go. And it really looked like with two to go, like, man, if he blocks Kyle Larson, he's probably going to win this race. Now he didn't end up blocking him into one with two to go. Larson got to his outside and that was kind of all she wrote. But, man, what a statement for Trackhouse Racing, a team that I think exceeded a lot of expectations last year. And, you know, uh, Daniel Suarez put together a handful of good runs, very well could have won the Bristol dirt race, but they came out swinging in 2022. That's another one of those teams like, man, I think they're going to win a race this year. Yeah, I 100%. And it's like, you know, that's one thing with Suarez. He's another guy that I think just a lot like Eric Jones is a lot of people forget he won the Xfinity series championship. Mm -hmm. You know, he rubbed this just made his way up to the cup series you know, based on daddy's money. No, he's had to work to get here and he's plenty talented. And if Trackhouse continues to put really good cars out there each and every week, he's going to be able to to fight for a win at some point in time again this season. It may be this weekend. I mean, we don't know, but um, they're the, if you want to talk about like trajectories of a team, they're definitely, I think if I'm buying stock, I'm buying stock in Trackhouse. No, absolutely. And we know that, the investment that uh, Justin Marks and Pitbull have made to make this team become one of the top teams. And obviously it's going to take a long time for them to get to the level of a JGR or a Hendrick Motorsports or something like that. But when you have a young owner coming in, willing to do whatever it takes to be successful, like these guys are going to be ones to watch out for this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Austin Sendrick backs up a Daytona 500 win by sitting on the pole for 
Auto Club and putting together a darn solid performance, getting uh, ending up with the top 10 uh, this weekend as well. So for anybody that said last week, uh, that's super speedway, that doesn't really count. That's not indicative to how he's going to run. He went out there and backed it up on Sunday. Yeah, and that's not surprising. He, he's, a, he's a good driver and good equipment. So what yeah. you expect? Absolutely. Uh, one team that didn't have such a great weekend was JGR and the Toyotas as a whole. So we'll include the two twenty three eleven cars. Kurt Busch ended up coming over the top 10. He was the only one. But, man, the Toyotas just kind of seemed out to lunch all day long. They're having overheating issues. Um, you know, Christopher Bell ended up finishing dead last after spinning out. Um, just not a good day for the Toyotas. But I feel like we've seen this movie before. Oh, yeah. We were – we were texted about it and it's every year there's kind of that oh no should we panic about them and then you know wait two three weeks from now and they you know and they're you know they finished four out of the top five or something like that you're like eh, they're okay yeah and i feel like toyota is that one major for one trd invest a lot into the development for their race teams they only have six cars so they're in a much more unique situation than Chevy and uh, Ford are. So I feel like, if anything, maybe they were experimenting. Like, hey, first race out of the gate, let's try these things and see if they work. And they could be coming come with an entirely different playbook to Las Vegas this weekend. But, like, you know, I, I've drawn comparisons to 2018, I think 2017 as well, when Atlanta was the second race. Just because they don't perform well that first time doesn't mean they're going to be down for long. Right. So now we're going to get to the issues of the weekend. And the biggest issue was the fact that a single car spin, if you flat spot your tires, you're looking at losing four to five laps. At California, now that could end up being 15 to 20 in a place like Bristol or Martinsville. This is a big problem. Yeah, very. Um, and this is a problem that NASCAR has been aware of for a while because when you go back to the next gen, all of the next gen tests, actually, um, you know, the, the ones over the past several months to the year have been more publicized because we've seen the live streaming and stuff like that. Media has been able to be at, at these events, but like we knew that these cars didn't perform, like weren't able to really move with flat tires. It was just seeing it taking place on a race weekend and being as prevalent as, of an issue as it was, it's like, oh crap, we got to fix this. Yeah, and got to fix it quick, too. Yeah. That's the problem is the design of these tires, the 18-inch tires, which Goodyear designs don't have an interliner in them. And the way I understand it, it's not possible to put one in there. So the only solution is to get these cars off the ground more. And I don't know how NASCAR goes about doing that because, of course, every team is trying to get these cars as low to the ground as they can to create more downforce and create more speed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an issue, and, and you know, we talked about it well-documented before the season started, that there were going to be growing pains with this car, and that's right out of the gate. That's one of the biggest ones, and if if that's the biggest one we have, then we're doing pretty good, but for right now, it's an issue. Yeah, and, uh, you know, what ended up being a little bit more of a problem was the fact that NASCAR said, okay, we'll tell you back to the pits if you – uh, you can stay in the car, we'll tell you back to the pits, and then change your tires. Well, the tow trucks are causing more damage than the flat-spotted tires are, apparently, because when you put a car on the tow hook, you're starting to drag that diffuser, which when you mess that thing up, you're knocking off the entire balance of the car. 
Um, so again, these unintended consequences of going to a new car, I don't know what that solution is. I don't know when it gets worked out, but it's going to continue to be a problem until we figure something out. Yeah. I saw somebody on Twitter, I think it was yesterday, float the idea of, you know, the, the tow trucks should have two, four tires, whatever, go out there and change it, you know, go out there and change it for them. That that's some kind of penalty, but go out there and change it. Don't move the car. Don't mess, like you said, don't mess up the yeah. diffuser. Let them drive back around and do their thing. I mean, cause then the day you don't, I, nobody wants to see a guy, you know, spin out, not wreck his car. And then be four laps down because, you know, he had to be towed around at three miles per hour, you know, yeah. um, that's not what you want. So if you could slap some tires on it, get them back into the pits, then maybe there's something you can go with there. And there was a lot of people that thought that could possibly be something that was implemented this week in Las Vegas. They've announced that's not the case. They haven't particularly changed anything. Um, and I saw Bob Proctor's replying to somebody like, well, you know, what if you have four cars spinning out, then, you know, whoever gets their tires changed first is that an advantage. And I can kind of understand that perspective of it, but at some point we have to figure out some kind of solution because yes, yeah, spinning out shouldn't cost you five or six laps and send you no. to the garage. No. But while we're dealing with this, this kind of plays back into these cars being harder to drive. You know, these guys are going to be on the razor's edge. And now you know if you go over that edge and spin out, that could, even if you don't hit anything, that could end your day. Yeah. So yeah. That's just another element of these, these cars being more difficult that these guys are going to have to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that you were pretty vocal about when we were talking over the weekend, but the new practice and qualifying procedures. So um, Daytona, we had full practice and the standard single car qualifying. Uh, Auto Club was the first experience of kind of the combined show aspect of it, where you have these two 15-minute practice sessions split up into Group A and Group B, and then you have the split qualifying Group A and Group B, and the top five from each of those end up going for the pole. Now, I think this was made to look worse by all the spinning out and all the stopping that we never really can, got a rhythm with it. But I don't think it was as well-received as maybe NASCAR was hoping it would be. No, I mean, like I said, I wasn't a fan of it to begin with. But like you said, it's just when you have spinning out, you know, then you got to throw the, throw the red flag out. Everybody, you know, if you're coming up to speed, you got to, you know, you've wasted that. And it's just – it's just it's not good again and i'm glad they're changing it for this weekend where yeah. they're on 35 minute practice and i'm fine with that you know i yeah. i wanted i would want a happy hour that'd be that'd make me the happiest but um 35 minutes everybody out there still doing the two separate groups of qualifying i'm completely fine with that yeah and, and i go back to conversations that we had before the pandemic when you know every race weekend we were getting two and a half three hours of practice and saying you know i feel like it would benefit the product a little bit more if you scale back the practice to where these guys aren't getting a full race worth of practice to dial these cars in to a t now you've got the complete opposite where it's like okay you're gonna go out there maybe get 10 to 15 laps in kind of work out the bugs make sure everything's in the right place and then come race time you might have to figure things out which i think nascar's looked at how they've operated the past two years with having no practice most weeks and figuring out like, okay, Hey, these guys don't need practice and we can still put on good racing. So let's kind of meet halfway in the middle. And like you said, I think 35 is a good, good compromise there. 
Yeah, very. So, um, uh, you know, we'll see how that works out. And may, I, they haven't announced anything past this weekend. It could be for this weekend only. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes and, uh, you know, see what NASCAR thinks going from there. Yeah, just wait and see. Uh, quickly, the Xfinity Series race on Saturday. Uh, it's actually still going on as I check my time right now because, good Lord, right. that thing ended up lasting about four hours before Cole mm-hmm. Custer ended up winning. Yeah. Um, it was. It went so long that I didn't even realize California had lights because I texted you and was like, wait a minute, why do we run a night race here? Uh, I will say the California night races were pretty cool, and uh, I do, you know, maybe we can get back to doing one of those one day. Um, the Xfinity Series was great, other than, you know, the long delay at the end of the race, which I didn't see, like, the definitive replay, like we saw at Daytona last week, where they show, like, okay, here's he, him in reference to the line, and here's the caution light. So I feel like maybe he may have gotten to the white flag, but that's, you know, that's all done and, and, and gone now. But um, Cole Custer had a dominant race. Um, with the way he's been running the past couple of years in the Cup Series, you know, 20th to 25th most weeks, he got the win at Kentucky a couple of years ago. But um, you almost kind of forget how good Cole Custer is. And then he yeah. goes out there back in the Xfinity Series where he won a lot of races over the course of a couple of years. And it's like, oh, yeah, this guy can wheel it. Yeah, thanks to get the job done. Yeah. And how about Bobby Dodder, first career win as a, a Xfinity Series car owner? I know it was a Stuart Haas car technically, um, but still, Bobby Dodder was listed as the uh, uh, owner on the on the uh, the entry sheet. Uh, he's a guy that raced in the Truck Series for several years, so it's really cool to see him get a win. Yeah, this is something that I heard uh, Gluck and Bianchi talking about on their podcast. How worrisome is it to for a guy like Riley Herbst to see Cole Custer come down and do that? Like that's essentially your teammate, and he just kicked your butt. Oh, I think it's got to be alarming. I mean, look, Riley has always had the sponsorship, you know, and that's been. There's times where he's shown flashes where you're like, you know what, I think this guy could do it. And then there's other times where you just you question why he's even out there. Then you remember that he's got the sponsorship. So. Out, I it was it was a it took him a while to kind of confirm plans for him for this year to return to the team he raced with last year. Yep. Uh, if you remember correctly, the guy that raced in that car before him was Chase Briscoe. Yeah. You know, he won a million races in the year, so it's just it, it's it's not shocking, um, but it's one of those where it's like you better start winning or you're going to be out of that car. That's the thing, though. I don't think he's going to be out of that car as long as he keeps bringing money to the table. And if he is out of that car, he's going to end up going to another organization, Junior Motorsports. Maybe he goes back to Gibbs. As long as he's bringing that monster, terrible Herps money, he's always going to have a ride in the Xfinity Series. Now, I'm glad the Cup Series has not kind of devolved into having a lot of these pay guys, but a guy like Riley Herps is always going to find a way to race in the Xfinity Series. Yep, always. So, and... Riley is not very well liked by a lot of people, but he's very similar to Michael Annette, a guy that raced in the Xfinity Series a long time. Hey, he got the win at Daytona in 2019. That's great. But he hung around for a lot longer than an average driver would because he brought family money to the table. Yeah. Yeah. Money talks and you know what walks. So That's, that's absolutely right. But again, you know, I just, it, it's funny to see 
Cole Custer, which again, he has cup experience now, but go out there and flat dominate and Riley, you know, was running what? Eighth, maybe 10th mm -hmm. on a good day. Yeah. Not challenging for the win at all. Not at all. Uh, triple header this weekend at Vegas, the truck series is going to be returning on Friday night. That's always exciting. Um, we'll get into our picks. Uh, Friday night, Zane Smith, of course, got the win at Daytona to start out the season. Who picks up the win in Sin City? Well, it seems like you're in the lead. I need to I need to get in the column here. So I'm going to take the easy pick. I'm going to go with John Hunter. You know, we know what he can do on mile and a half. He, he, should, he should win the championship this year. He's a championship favorite. So I'll just go ahead and say he's going to get his first win this weekend. I'm going to stick in the Toyota camp. Um, I'm actually going to go with Tyler Ankrum driving in the 16 truck. Toyota is very strong at mile and a half. You know, Ankrum has gotten the one win at Kentucky back in 2020. But I don't know. There's just something about him being at Hattori that I like. Um, obviously, Austin Hill had a lot of success with that team. They ran very well at the mile and a half. Um, I, I'm going to go with Tyler Ankrum. All right. Uh, to Saturday, the Xfinity Series race. Um, of course, the season started off with uh, Austin Hill getting the win at Daytona, Cole Custer winning this past weekend. Uh, do we make it three for three with three different winners? We do. And the hometown kid's going to get it done. It's going to be Noah Gregson. Oh, you're not winning. Riley Herbst? No, not this weekend. Maybe next weekend. Stay tuned. Uh, oh, Noah Gregson winning in Las Vegas. What kind of celebration would that be like? It would be a party. <laughs> um, that's a good pick, and I, he runs very well at the mile and a half. And I feel like he's been in a position to win a couple of Vegas races. He just hasn't been able to close the deal. But I'm going to go with his teammate that has won at Las Vegas. Actually, the last time we went to Las Vegas, and that's Josh Berry. Um, and Las, that was, he was driving the one car for Michael Annette, so that wasn't even like his team necessarily. And he went out there and still won that race. So, um I think he's going to get it done on Saturday. Yeah. Now to the Cup Series on Sunday, and kind of similar to Auto Club, with Vegas being such a different type of racetrack, there are so many unknowns and so many things we don't know what we're going to see, and that's exciting. Um, that being said, who wins on Sunday? Well, I think one, one known within NASCAR is that when you piss a driver off, it can motivate them a little bit to get that's back fair. to fixing. And I think you're going to see the nine car in victory lane. And I think he passes the five car late. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with the guy looking for retribution this week. And the fact that Las Vegas is a multi-groove racetrack where you're going to be able to get up there and run right up against that wall. I think Tyler Reddick finally checks that box for his first cup series win. Yeah, it could be a big weekend for him. For sure. One thing, the, the Chevys flex their muscle at auto club. They, they may have, you know, these, uh, you know, uh, high-speed tracks figured out for a little bit. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that was our view of Auto Club. Now we look ahead to Las Vegas, and, uh, man, we're already three weeks into the season. It's flying by. Yeah, yeah, ripping them out quick. So next week we'll be back. Uh, you actually won't be back next week. You'll be on vacation. So I will ha I'll have a show next week. I'm working on getting somebody to fill in for you. Gotcha. So until next time, he's Don Molinex. I'm Tyler Head. Thanks so much for listening.